Podcasting is an astonishing amount of work, so I rely on some great tools to make it easier. One of my staples is Zencaster. They provide a crystal clear sound and gorgeous HD video. I love that it records separate audio and video tracks for the guests and for me so that everything comes through really clearly, even if there's a lag in the internet. Plus, there's a secured cloud backup so you never lose your interviews. Since I'm often recording from remote places, I love that it's easy to record audio only as well as audio and video. It's super easy to use and there's nothing to download aside from your recordings. My guests just click on the link and we start recording. Go to zen.ai slash canine conservationists to get 30% off your first three months of Zencaster Pro. So again, that's zen.ai slash canine conservationists for 30% off. And welcome to the Canine Conservationists podcast, where we're positively obsessed with conservation detection dogs. Join us every week to discuss ecology, odor dynamics, dog behavior, and everything in between. I'm your host, Kayla Fratt, and I'm one of the co-founders of Canine Conservationists, where we train dogs to detect data for researchers, agencies, and NGOs. Today, um, we're going with another kind of experimental podcast setup. Um, I get asked all the time, how do you get into the field of conservation detection dogs? How did you get into the field of conservation detection dogs? How did you get your first job? What do I need to do to get from where I am now to that point? Um, I love this question, um, but obviously my response is just kind of an N of one. I My path cannot be your path, and it will not be your path. And so as, as a way to kind of remedy this, but still answer this question in a variety of ways in one place, we have collaborated with um, a s- whole bunch of conservation detection dog handlers from a variety of other organizations. We've got Lindsay Ware from Science Dogs of New Le- England. We've got two handlers from Conservation Dogs Collective. We've got Arden from the New York, New Jersey Trail Conference um, and a couple others all answering this one question for you. So I hope that this episode can be inspiring and helpful if you really want to get into the field of conservation detection dogs as kind of a different way to look at how to get into the field. As I listen to the responses from all of these amazing handler trainers, there was a couple big things that came up to me. One is for a lot of us, there is this element of what could be perceived as luck, but is really kind of a combination of preparation and being in the right place at the right time and being ready to jump on an opportunity when it came your way. Um, so that's a huge one. And then the other big thing that really came up to me was how many diverse options there were as far as the route you were taking. You'll hear about blood tracking, you'll hear about GIS mapping, you'll hear about just competing in canine nose work. Um, There's a lot of different ways to get into this field, but so much of it is network continually growing your expertise and then being ready to jump on an opportunity when it comes your way. So without further ado, let's get to how we all got into this field with a wide variety of amazing guests. Hello, my name is Josephine Locke. I'm the founder of Nose No Limit and a keeper with the Conservation Dogs Collective. I've been involved in canine scent detection work for over 10 years, most of that time in search and rescue for human live wilderness find in both the Midwest and in California. And for the past three years, I've been working in conservation detection. Right now, I have three dogs in my life, all black Labrador retrievers, all females, and all with working field line genetics. 
Holly is the youngest, she's 18 months old, Willow is 9 and Brenna is in her 16th year. Willow and Holly are my current conservation detection dogs. I have loved dogs all my life, but I was unable to have one growing up as a child because my dad's job meant that my family moved around a lot and I spent most of my early childhood in Bahrain in the Middle East. However, I did spend a lot of my time befriending, feeding and looking out for all the feral dogs as a child. And I also rescued a lot of other injured or displaced animals, including goats, turtles, cats and hedgehogs. I had a very early fascination with animals and the natural world and used to spend hours just watching animal behaviour or collecting creatures like insects or snails to study. At school I wanted to be a veterinarian and spent all of my spare time on the school farm, working with the animals there. But in those days, girls were not encouraged to work in large animal practice, so I switched gears, and at university I did my degree in management science and then doctoral research in managerial cybernetics. I never lost my love of the natural world, though, and throughout my early career, most of my hobbies and voluntary work involved animals or conservation in one form or another. In fact, in my early 30s, when I was the project manager of a large IT project implementing a new student record system for a university, to reduce my stress and improve my quality of life, I negotiated switching to a four-day week for a few months and used my spare day to work with a local conservation group, restoring habitat and building trails in local preserves and nature parks. My entry into canine scent detection work began later in life, after we moved to the United States and I bred a litter of puppies with our Labrador Retriever Brenner, who we brought with us from the UK. I discovered that there was a search and rescue team in our area, in our area so I began volunteering and joined the group in 2013 with a very young Willow, the puppy I kept from the litter. Willow absolutely loved the search game and I rapidly became hooked on learning how to read her body language and learning all about the science of training and behaviour. She was a wilderness life find search dog and during her eight year SAR career she passed four certifications in three different states. In 2017 we moved to Los Angeles for two years and I started to broaden my knowledge of dog training with various courses and mentors and I began a two-year program learning about dogs with, a high, with the highly regarded trainer Kay Lawrence. During that time, I became aware that dogs could do conservation work and be taught to find endangered or invasive species, and a tiny seed was planted in my brain that I couldn't shake. As that seed grew, I had two pieces of good fortune. The first was that I became part of a network of trainers in Southern California, and as part of that group, one day I, had, I got to sit next to Ken Ramirez at a lunch following a weekend seminar he'd given us on advanced training concepts. I was already extremely interested in how to become a conservation dog handler and was aware of the many conservation projects that he'd been involved in, so I got to ask him some questions about his work and seek his advice on how to get started. From then on, I couldn't stop thinking about how I could become part of the, that world and get to have the privilege of helping conservation efforts with my dog. So I did a ton of research on the projects where dogs had already been used and started compiling a list of groups and contacts who might be able to help me. The second piece of good fortune I had was that Laura Holder, who at that time was the founder of Midwest Conservation Dogs, which is now Conservation Dogs Collective, had also been through Kay Lawrence's two-year programme. And so when Kay learned of my passion for canine conservation work, she connected us. Laura gave me a lot of support and advice, and at the end of 2018 I took the plunge and began the process of setting up Nose No Limit, which was launched in 2019. The initial learning curve was very steep, 
and there was a huge amount of work involved in setting up an enterprise, building a website, creating a social media presence, and networking with all the conservation groups in the area. Our first two contracts came to me again through personal connections. The first was a season of bat and bird carcass detection surveys for the wind energy industry, which we did over four months in the fall of 2019. The work was being conducted by an environmental consultancy company and they had sent emails to all the local search and rescue groups, hoping to find experienced search dog and handler teams. That email was forwarded to me by a friend and colleague I had worked with previously in search and rescue. So I applied and we got offered a position subject to passing the three day on-site evaluation. The second contract came to me because someone had posted a news article in the Indiana Nature Facebook group about some dogs in Iowa that were trained to find rare turtles. And an artist friend of mine who had designed Nose No Limits logo saw it and commented that I was doing similar work right here in Indiana. The then director of the Ecolab at Marion University saw the post, looked up my website and then contacted me to ask if I could help them locate eastern box turtles on their property so that they could attach radio trackers to study them. Most of the projects we've been involved in since have also come about due to word of mouth or chance conversations. And of course much of the work I now do is for the Conservation Dogs Collective, so these days my network is much bigger and continues to grow. There is no simple or clear path to becoming a conservation detection dog keeper. The best advice I can share is that if you are truly committed to this work, then you have to create your own entry point through research, determination and initiative. You will probably find that, to begin with, you will have to do a lot of volunteering and a lot of research before you find opportunities that are open to you given the skills that you have and the environment you live in. I'm Lindsay Ware. I'm with Science Dogs of New England. I've been in this field, I guess, officially for four years. I've got two detection dogs, Delta, who is an Australian Shepherd, and Chili Bean, who's a Labrador Retriever. I also have a conservation tracking dog, Aldo, who is a wire-haired Dachshund, or also known as a Teckle. Aldo and I do wounded large game recovery together. As far as when I first fell in love with dogs and conservation, uh, I guess it's really been my whole life for the most part. I grew up with dogs and loved dogs and always knew I would have dogs, uh, but honestly I never really thought about them as working partners or considered a career working with them. For conservation, I really had been saying since I was a really young kid that I wanted to be a wildlife biologist. And this was probably a product of growing up loving animals and wildlife and just being raised in the outdoors. So uh, wildlife biology was what I did for undergrad and grad school. And I spent several years just traveling around North America uh, doing different jobs as a field technician on wildlife research projects. The beginning of science dogs for me, at least in my mind anyway, actually goes back uh, to before I even heard of conservation detection dogs. Um, I was getting into a very similar activity that wasn't quite conservation scent detection, but it was a really big factor in preparing me for the work. So I got involved with using tracking dogs to track and recover wounded game for hunters. 
And even though this was tracking and technically really quite different from scent detection, I really consider it the beginning of developing science dogs because it introduced me to the entire lifestyle of handling, training, and living with conservation working dogs. And it actually, as a little bit of a side note, it surprises me all the time how much working with tracking dogs and working with scent detection dogs actually are very similar to each other. I honestly never really expected that in the beginning. So obviously the training is very different, but a lot of the working with and reading your dog aspects are very, very similar. In both cases, you're a team with the dog and each of you bring something very different to the team. The working conditions and environment are also very similar between the two activities. So around the time that I was getting into tracking, so this was around 2011, I um, also started becoming very enthralled with dog training. I had a puppy, Gander, and uh, I was training him for tracking and also just so excited about raising a puppy and learning everything that I could. Gander also developed some behavior challenges and uh, so what I did is I just kept absorbing information. I took a lot of classes and learned uh, more and more and more about dog training and ended up getting uh, mentored and hired at a dog training facility, actually the same dog training facility where I was getting some help with Gander. And so I eventually started teaching dog training classes there, and actually I still do. So at this time, in 2011, I worked full-time at a research lab and was pursuing my dog training passion in the evenings. I first heard of conservation detection around 2016 or so, maybe 2015, um, when my husband showed me an article about the University of Washington conservation canines. At the time, I was still carrying on with my passion with dog training and tracking. I would work during the day and then during tracking season I would sometimes be out all night long tracking for hunters. Um, but I was really interested in leaving lab work and getting back into wildlife and conservation work because that's really where my heart was. So I got inspired by learning that uh, conservation dogs existed <laughs> and uh, started committing to learning everything I could about scent detection. I was eventually uh, able to get some help from some amazing mentors and I met these folks uh, mostly through my tracking work. And these people were mostly in law enforcement, conservation law enforcement, and search and rescue. I also uh, did a small business program because I was definitely lacking in experience and education related to running an organization. Uh, dealing with financials and um, promotion and things like that. In 2018, this all kind of uh, came to a head where I left my laboratory job uh, specifically to start Science Dogs in New England. Uh, my first couple of 
jobs and scent detection came from either connections I made or there was actually one uh, where I was just approached after being found through my website. Um, but the largest and most important partnership to date actually came from me uh, approaching the researchers. And the more that we talked and met, the more things led to this amazing collaboration uh, that has just been mutually beneficial for all of us. It's led to other little partnerships and side projects, and it's just been a really huge deal for me. So I take very close to my heart this, uh, this kind of collaborative approach that uh, was taken with this wood turtle project that I'm involved in. One of the biggest pieces of advice I give people that um, approach me and that are interested in getting into this work is uh, to approach it like this huge learning process because that's exactly what it is. You're really in a constant state of learning. Yes, the learning curve won't always be super steep, but um, I really think it's helpful. Uh, I know it is for me. Um, if you embrace the idea that you're never going to stop being a student of your dogs and for that matter a student of all the amazing pioneers that we have in this field and that's actually in my opinion one of the very best things about it. Hi there my name is Laura Holder and I am the executive director for Conservation Dogs Collective. In 2017 Midwest Conservation Dogs was founded. However, in 2021, we renamed ourselves to Conservation Dogs Collective. I've been involved with the organization since its foundation, and even before then, since 2010, I've been a professional dog trainer. I have my CPDTKA certification through the CCPDT, as well as my CNWI certification through the NACSW. My heart is absolutely owned by my two dogs. Um, both of them are Labrador Retrievers. Ernie is my five-year-old Yellow Lab, and Betty White is my three-year-old Black Lab. I fell in love with dogs as a very young child. Um, however, I did not actually have my first dog until I was 22 years old. Um, Believe me, I asked for a dog for my birthday every year. I mean, Christmas, Valentine's Day, every made-up holiday that I could imagine. Um, but my parents, I love them dearly, and they love me <laughs> very much. Um, they always said no, you know, and I got a lot of stuffed animals, and I got some fish along the way. Um, as a grade school kiddo, I remember barking out of my second-story bedroom window out into my neighborhood just hoping that you know some stray dog would show up in my backyard that never happened um, I also would eat my cereal out of a bowl on the floor pretending I was a dog you know even going so far as to walking around uh, my parents house that way and I took up every single opportunity I could by looking up different breeds in the encyclopedia and watching dog shows on TV. And of course, every time I went to a friend's house that had a dog, I was the first one to just sit there and, you know, like connect with that dog before most of the humans in the, in the room. And when I think about when I first fell in love with conservation, um, I wish I could say that dogs kind of connected me to conservation as a young person. However, as I thought about this particular um, question that Kayla posed, I really settled on my 
kind of college, post-college years when I was able to travel for work quite a bit. Um, I really connected with different parts of the world and being outside in different parts of the world. And I really didn't have a keen appreciation for my own uh, community, so to speak. Um, So, and as I got more involved with working with dogs and working alongside dogs, I have just, you know, become much more appreciative of conservation and conservation focused efforts on smaller scales as well as, you know, large scales. I have 100% memory of when I first heard about conservation detection dogs, though. It was in 2016, and I received a phone call on my cell phone from the executive director of Mequon Nature Preserve. She had recently been at a conference where Working Dogs for Conservation had given a dog demo. I think they were doing um, Emerald Ash Borer up there at this conference, and the the executive director called me and she was really excited about this new method. Um, and admittedly, I had, you know, I was like, oh, that's really cool. And I pretended a little bit like I knew what they were. Um, and we just got to talking and she really wanted to bring this method to the property at Maquan Nature Preserve. They have about 450 to 500 acres of land there. And uh, my name fell across her lap as she was looking for scent detection trainers in the metro Milwaukee area. Um, By that time, I had been involved with canine nose work for several years. And she just flat out asked, like, hey, is this something we can do here? And um, the short answer was, yes, absolutely. So, yeah, it was a very positive memory. Um, And at that time, I had been fully employed in a corporate office setting, and I um, put together a full proposal to train up a puppy and a dog handler for Mequon Nature Preserve. And over the course of about 18 to 24 months, I completely exited out of corporate America to pursue this industry of work full-time. So I definitely come at the conservation dog world from uh, the dog trainer side of the the fence, so to speak. Um, You know, I have been training since 2010, as I uh, mentioned earlier. I was doing several different types of puppy classes, group classes. I did some excuse me, dog sport classes. Um, I started teaching, actually, I started participating in nose work right around 2011. And then shortly thereafter, I started teaching canine nose work. Um, And along the way, I got myself into some trials. So I got that experience of doing blind searches at new locations and across different um, search elements. And then I also had the opportunity to meet um, Amy Hurt from Working Dogs for Conservation in Omaha, Nebraska in, um, you know, a couple of years ago. Um, I went down with her alongside the Mequon Nature Preserve team, Tilia and Corey, and shadowed her in the field. She was at that time training Lily, who just recently retired, to detect some crown vetch at a nature preserve. And that was really cool to see her and meet her. You know, she's kind of like a goddess and everything. And um, just her willingness to allow us to come down and watch her um, getting started on a new project was incredible. As far as how we landed our first few jobs or how I landed my first few jobs, like I said, with Mequon Nature Preserve giving us that call, they were really the impetus of Conservation Dogs Collective getting up and running. So, you know, as we developed that 
dog handler team from puppyhood and they're up um we always had the goal of like, okay, we there's more work to be done out here. We want to get MNP up and running with their team, support them how we can. But we just started networking and meeting more people through Mequon Nature Preserve and other places and really expanded our own offering um, with our own trained dog handler teams at that time. Um, in 2019, we had a catalyst of an idea to actually start our own program and kickstarted our pollinator program to focus on at that time it was honeybee uh, detection for um, different diseases and parasites but we quickly shifted after i mean quickly after about six months or so we shifted over to focusing on bumblebee nest detection and you know here we are in currently about middle of 2022 and we have Two dogs that have several seasons of bumblebee nest detection under their noses and the additional dogs um, or the canine finders as we call them um, the additional finders for cdci there are six other ones that are going to be started on the bumblebee nest project this year so in addition to the bumblebee nest work our current crew at cdci has eight finders across um, five different keepers. And the progress we've made since then is, I think first and foremost, like the education of getting conservation detection dogs as a method out in, into the um, ears and also into the eyes of prospective clients who might be hiring us, but also into the communities that we're working in. So um, we set up demo days for the general public to come learn about it. Um, it's also a really great way for um, the finders to do some marketing for us because it's really exciting to see them work. So I look forward to continuing to educate others and um, remember how exciting and you know intriguing it was when I first heard about this industry. My name is Rachel Hamry. Um, I am planning to work for West this coming summer and fall. It will be my second season doing conservation detection dog work, but I've done about seven years of data collection and field work. I recently adopted my border collie named Suki. Um, how did I get into this field? I have been doing field work and data collection for about seven years now, primarily botany related, um, a lot of plant identification and habitat monitoring and conservation. I got interested in dog training, though, when I was about 12, I adopted a dog who was scared of just about everything, but especially people. Um, her name was Josie, and I adopted her from an organization called Colorado Springs All Breed Rescue and Training. I got really lucky that I just kind of fell into positive reinforcement training because of them, um, and All Breed Rescue and Josie were the things that um, really allowed me to discover my interest in behavior and training. Since then, I fostered about 20 dogs, um, and so I kind of just got a broad range of behavior issues and experience um, in training. Uh, one summer, while I was doing field work, I was working on a sage-grouse project um, monitoring plants in the habitat that sage-grouse live in, I stumbled upon a job announcement for another conservation detection dog group. I applied with them multiple times over the course of a couple of years, 
The last time that I applied with them, I made it to the last round of interviews and just didn't get the job. Um, but I decided that even though that was pretty disappointing, I was going to just continue making myself a more competitive applicant. And I was just going to keep applying until I got in with them. It was right around that time that I met Kayla. And I got really lucky that she offered to let me borrow barley for my first season of working for West. Um, pretty early on in that season, I realized and I knew that conservation detection dog work was just what I wanted to continue doing. Um, I maintained that relationship with West and I adopted my dog Suki and I'm planning to work for them with her uh, this coming season. I think I would emphasize that my experience in scientific data collection was really a thing that made me a strong applicant. Um, I think most people enjoy working with their dogs, um, but I think understanding just all the things that go into good study design and good data collection and good science are a pretty important aspect of the job that sometimes get overlooked. Hi, this is Arden Blumenthal, the Conservation Dogs Program Coordinator for the New York, New Jersey Trail Conference, and my dog is Pete. Um, I got involved in the conservation detection dog field um, as I was um, finishing up my master's degree from Purdue in ecology and evolutionary biology. I was job hunting, looking for opportunities in the um, wildlife field. Um, specifically, I was interested in um, jobs that were related to human-wildlife conflict mitigation, um, animal behavior, um, and I knew I wanted to work. Um, I didn't want to be involved in um, research or academia anymore. I wanted to work for an NGO or, um, or a government entity. However, as I was looking for jobs, I realized that I was sort of a jack-of-all-trades person. I had worked with a lot of species, had diverse skills, and many of the job opportunities were targeted um, towards um, you know, folks that had very specific skills, um, who'd worked with a specific species in particular for quite some time, um, and um, the jobs that were more uh, geared towards what I was capable of doing um, were offering to pay very little. I would have to move across the country, um, or, you know, they just weren't... Um, they just weren't spike sparking any fire in me. I kind of went back to the drawing board at that point and asked myself uh, if I'm if I'm not going to be paid much anyways, um, which is the truth of it. What would I be doing if I could be doing anything? And I know that um, obviously shows that I have so much privilege, and it's it's true. I had um, an amazing support system, um, people, and um, you know support to to fall back on. So I just I just want to acknowledge that that I do have a lot of privilege, but I was able to you know ask myself what I would really love to be doing if I could be doing anything, and conservation detection, um, dog handling, and um, working as a as a general biologist in that way um, had always kind of been in um, on my radar. Um, so I essentially contacted everyone in the country who was. Um, 
doing that sort of work. I send a lot of emails um, and ask just for general advice. And it just so happened that I had contacted the um, New York, New Jersey Trail Conference at the same time uh, that they were looking for an unpaid intern. Um, so I started out as a volunteer essentially, and after around 400 uh, hours of work, I was hired on as an assistant. And um, yeah, just a couple of years later, here I am as the um, program coordinator and um, dog handler. So it's been quite a whirlwind. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you learned a lot and you're feeling inspired to get out to and be a canine conservationist, potentially by following in the path of some of these amazing trailblazers in our field. Um, if you enjoyed this episode, let us know on social media or by rating and reviewing wherever you find this podcast. You can find show notes, donate to canine conservationists, buy merch, join Patreon, all of those great things over at canineconservationists.org. Thank you so much for listening and we'll talk to you next week.